We haven't entirely nailed down what element it is yet, but I'll tell you this, it's a lively one. Let's give your parents a call right now. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Gaming with the Moms. It's me, Simone de Rochefort. Um, I'm filling in as host for Nicole, who is out sick. Uh, she has betrayed us. She caught her daughter's illness. Anna. Um, we hope she's doing well. I don't know. Do you guys feel good about <laughs> <laughs> this wonderful impromptu podcast? I think it's going to be fun. Okay. Yeah. We'll have fun. I'll make sure you have fun. Uh, I'm joined today by Linda Brenneman, publisher of Pixelkin.org. I almost said publishing manager. That's not even a title. No, publisher is correct, Simone. Publisher. I did it. Ding, I ding. Went, Yeah. Last time I didn't get anyone's titles right. I'm pretty sure <laughs> not a single one. So this time, before we started recording, I went around and was like, who are you and what do you do? Um, so Courtney Holmes, uh, Associate Managing Editor of Pixelkin.org. That's me. Uh, I just call her, like, the girl at the desk next to me. Yeah. I so. respond to most things. Hey, you. Yeah. Uh, Courtney today is wearing the most fantastic ugly sweater that I have ever seen in my life. It has a bell on it, which I'll, I, I, you gotta. <laughs> I'll reserve it for egregious moments. When... We're gonna do, like, a, we should have some kind of trivia competition. You can, like, dig in. <laughs> can I ask a personal question? Yeah. Why does it say, now I have a machine gun on your Christmas sweater? <laughs> it is a diehard reference. Oh. It says, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. And uh, in the movie Die Hard, the first terrorist that is killed by John McClane, he writes out, now I have a machine gun on his sweatshirt and puts him in an elevator and sends it down to the main lobby. And then uh, Hans Gruber sees the... Uh, elevator open and sees it and then he knows that what's his face his brother's dead and there's a guy in the building and you have to go and kill him and it's great that I'm was the so best glad summary I, <laughs> I know a lot about Die Hard now no, it's, I love it. it's a great movie and it's a Christmas movie it takes place at a holiday com- right. company That's Christmas true. party and we are also joined today by our new social media manager Ingrid Hill welcome to Yay, the podcast Ingrid. hello She's such a good sport. She we is just, a good sport. We just picked her up from her desk and dragged her down to the studio. Basically. We were walking out the door, and she's like, where are we going? And I was like, uh. <laughs> Welcome to hell. <laughs> are you having a good first week? Absolutely. Yay. I'm so glad. Um, sorry we traumatized you by bringing you on the podcast after finding out at the last minute that Nicole was sadly waylaid. Yeah, she's, she's not feeling well. That's what happens when you have three-year-olds. They yeah. pick up all the viruses, and then you get all the viruses. It's <laughs> so, so nice because they're not yeah. old enough to get you Christmas presents yet, so they have to do something nice. That's right. So they give you a sick day. Yay, yeah. germs. <laughs> I love it. I am a little sick today, too, so I will try not to cough. Uh, yeah, Thank I can you. hear you sucking on your cough drop over there. Yeah, cough drops and bells. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> You're not invited back, Courtney. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so let's get to some news. Uh, we're, why don't we start with the, the Nintendo Direct that was all about Super Smash Brothers so that Courtney can, you know, suck on her cough drop directly into the microphone. Yeah, man. So uh, <laughs> yesterday, um, Tuesday, there was a Nintendo Direct dedicated just to Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U and for the 3DS. And it is the last Nintendo Direct dedicated to these two games. Uh, there have been a couple others. And they announced the final two characters for this generation of Smash Brothers, which were Corrin from Fire Emblem Fates 
and Bayonetta from the Bayonetta series. <laughs> and they also revealed that Cloud, uh, some of Cloud's moves, and then they released the Cloud DLC, which mm-hmm. is available now for $5.99. And what else? They announced some Amiibos. Uh, there's going to be Amiibos of Cloud, which is a big deal, and yeah. a Bayonetta and Corrin from Fire Emblem Fates. And then also... Uh, the Rob Amiibo we've known about for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Ryu from Street Fighter and Roy from Fire Emblem. Mm. I'm laughing at all the Fire Emblem stuff. I keep seeing posts being like, oh, another Fire Emblem character. I bet all six people who have played Fire Emblem <laughs> are excited. It is, a, it is a popular RPG series. But yeah, Fire Emblem yeah. Fates has not come out in the U.S. yet, no. but it's been out in Japan for a while. It's kind of a cool series because or when, when this next one comes out, I don't know if they're all like this, actually. But Fire Emblem Fates, there's three different games you can play basically mm-hmm. and it's all about like which loyalty side you're choosing there's two warring kingdoms and one of them is your birth family and the other one is your adoptive family and you have to choose which side you're going to fight on and wow. then there's two different versions of the game which is kind of cool I find that's a conflict oh. we all have to face at some point in our lives mm-hmm. you know <laughs> which kingdom are we going to ally with yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's very that's deep, cool. Simone. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I th- yeah, I think there's like a third game as well that's sort of the concluding storyline that works with either of those two. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. And then Bayonetta is also coming yes. to Super Smash Brothers, which you are not excited. I, I, I see so many mixed reactions to this. I mean, there. I have a lot of. I know several people who are really, really excited about this because they see Bayonetta, who is this incredibly sultry, seductive, flirty kind of lady with many exposed party parts. And <laughs> and clothes. guns in her shoes, right? Guns in her shoes. She has high-heel gun yeah. shoes. And she uh, has lots of close-ups of her butt and her boobs. And for lots of people I know, they find her to be really empowering. Uh-huh. I find her just kind of creepy. <laughs> she, <laughs> she creeps me out. Um Personally, I yeah. haven't actually played the games, though, and I feel like I've heard great things about the gameplay itself as being really solid. Mm-hmm. But so she's coming to Super Smash Brothers, and if you're not familiar with um, Bayonetta, you parents could potentially be a little startled by some of her dance moves, which are... <laughs> I say dance instead of fight. I meant to say fight, but there are actual dance moves, too. She, like, she has a very long taunt, which is just like a sexy dance, and... Some of her kicks, she kicks so hard that her clothes rip off of her body momentarily, and it's pretty intense. In in the kids' games? Yeah, so happens? this is rated E10. Okay. Interesting. So mm. obviously there's going to be no nudity. Yeah, there's no nudity. It, like, it rips off most of her body and then reappears immediately again. <laughs> rips off most of her body is an interesting that way to phrase That sounds pretty that. painful. <laughs> yeah. Do you play Bayonetta, Ingrid? I have not actually. It just okay, never was a series that like really interested me. Yeah. So it's such a it's such a contentious thing because I a lot of people I know see her as like a a camp figure first and foremost, and also like a representative of this really. Uh, be, she's a BDSM dom basically, so she is a really powerful woman. But then at the same time, like there, there's all the the regular complications that come into having a woman like that in a, a commercial property, mostly targeted towards men. Um, but yeah, I, I hear a lot of good things about her games, and I hear a lot of your mileage may vary things about her games. So right, I it's, think it's interesting. I think it's it's cool if she makes you feel empowered. It's 
cool, I guess, yeah, if yeah. she makes you feel creeped out and you don't want to have anything to do with her. <laughs> I'm literally uh, always <laughs> going to remember. I was giving a talk once at UW Bothell about representation of women in games, and I had a slide about Bayonetta. And I started it off with Anita, Anita Sarkeesian's opinion of Bayonetta, which is, like, she she's not a fan of the character and the design. She finds it very... Um, not not empowering. So I started off with that opinion. I was going to follow it up with like conflicting opinions of other women who enjoy Bayonetta. And as soon as I finished that part, this guy in the back raises his hand and goes, "Oh, but isn't it true that you know women could be empowered by Bayonetta?" I was like, "Just you didn't you couldn't even let me finish like the entire argument that I had to make, which was that yeah, your mileage may vary on this character. We all have, you know, different opinions and experiences that inform how we react to these things. Like, you had to jump in and go, oh, but right. isn't that isn't Anita Sarkeesian wrong? Well, was, you know, <sighs> when you feel that way, sometimes it's hard to hold it in, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gotta interrupt the whole lecture. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's, that's... I do admire the sense of humor and satire that seems to go with Bayonetta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's definitely a part of it. Yeah, there certainly seems to be some satire mm-hmm. elements, so... Yeah. And but, I believe her character her character designer is a woman. Um, I'm totally blanking on her name, and I'm sorry, but, um, but the, again, that that's complicated, too, because, you know, one person isn't in, totally responsible for the way that a character is, you know, portrayed throughout the whole game series, so it's like, ugh... Yes. Imagine me throwing my hands in the air and going, I don't know what to do with, about this. Yes, yeah. I have a but lot of emotions. It seems like some parents might be a little bit surprised to have that in a kid's game, to have yeah. that character um, doing so her She thing. will not be an automatic download. She is a paid DLC character. Oh, okay. Uh, so if Good. you want Bayonetta, you have to pay five ninety nine or six ninety nine, depending on if you're doing the 3DS or the Wii U version, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't want her, you don't have to get her. Good. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah. When is the cloud amiibo coming out? Uh, there's no release date yet, um, but it is confirmed in production. We don't have a photo of it or anything. But that's we haven't even cool. seen his beautiful arms. Well, sorry, I'm going to go right from t- <laughs> criticizing Bayonetta to objectifying cloud. I hope that that's okay with you. It's almost like you have varying opinions in our Ooh. complex tapestry of thoughts and ideas. <laughs> um, no, I'm a reverse sexist. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the Cloud DLC is available now, so you can buy that and stare at his arms for as long as you like, Simone. And I will. (laughs) I will, Courtney, until Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out. Okay. Cool. So that was the Smash Nintendo Direct. Uh, On to more Nintendo news. Scott Moffat, who is a Nintendo executive, gave an interview with the Washington Post that I think you, Courtney, described as the most vague interview ever. It was incredibly political. Or no, is that the right word? I'm thinking of bureaucratic. It was vague. It was vague and and (laughs) nebulous. 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 That's such a good good word. It. You could tell very much that he was a company man speaking on behalf of the company, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he answered all of the questions with things that we pretty much already knew or could already assume. Ambiguous, perhaps. Apolitical. (laughs) Yes. He um, basically was talking about how the 3DS isn't going anywhere, whatever that means. Um, (laughs) They're not taking them all away? Yes, no. That's amazing. Uh, Nintendo at this time is not really planning on working on a new handheld console, as far as we can Mm -hmm. tell. The NX, I think, is going to be more of a set-top thing, though we don't know. It's a mystery until 2016. Um, But basically what the interview was about was just that the 3DS has sold really well, that um, 
they still like it. <laughs> I'm not sure what to think about the because they they mentioned that it sold more than the Xbox One and the PS4 combined. But isn't it a couple years older? It is older than both of by those good consoles, measure. right? Um, yeah, but and it doesn't cost as much. right? Yeah, it's way yeah. cheaper yeah. and it's been around for longer. But it is important to remember when you're thinking about consoles that there is a huge market for the 3DS. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to handheld gaming, like, the Vita is the only competition with the 3DS, if you don't count mobile games, like, mm-hmm. on your iPhone or whatever. Um, and the Vita <laughs> is... N- the, no. It's, no. There's not enough games <laughs> available on the Vita that are... Um, yeah. Or, the DS I, is pretty much... Or the 3DS is pretty much where it's at. Yeah, it's it's really cornered the handheld market. Which um, is good for them. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing... He actually brought up that they don't want to compare it to smartphones because... And he, he said something that was, I think, a little... I think smartphone developers might uh, yes. take object... Or might object to, which was that the 3DS offers more sophisticated gameplay because it has more buttons. Yes. I which, think the yeah. word he used was deeper, which deeper. I think is Ooh. questionable. Like, if I compare... I've played some really high-quality, extremely deep games on my smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't need necessarily need to have a lot of inputs in order to have great design. Mm-hmm. I actually um, wrote the quote down, and we were both right. The inclusion of multiple control buttons on the Nintendo 3DS allows a much deeper and more sophisticated type of play. Ooh, Ooh so, fighting words. Yeah. <laughs> so they think um, that the 3DS is not competing with uh, smartphones basically, for the mobile market? Yeah, basically the or idea was that they... Handled. Yeah, they don't want the 3DS to compete with mobile phones, and they think that just by virtue of the games that are available for it, which is kind of true, it's not competing with them. Where this gets interesting is that Nintendo was getting into the mobile game market in 2016, so basically he was saying, you know, the mobile games that Nintendo is putting out also won't be competing with the 3DS. In fact, they're just going to be, going to serve to drive people to the Wii U, the NX, and the 3DS. Right. So So in in his um, investors... I don't buy that. (laughs) (laughs) In the investors meeting that happened, I think in October, uh, the president of Nintendo, Tatsuma Kimishima, talked to investors about how the mobile initiative was designed to reach out to more people who are not necessarily Nintendo fans and to bring them into the Nintendo fold. And mm-hmm. mobile games, you're, are never, you're, Nintendo has said that they're not going to be porting any of their regular games over to mobile, but rather all the mobile titles will be unique and designed for mobile. Mm-hmm. And that um, they're still going to be putting most of their focus on console gaming and that the idea will be once you get into the mobile games that it will drive you towards the console games. They'll give you a taste and lure you in for more. <laughs> um, we don't really know what any of Nintendo's mobile games are going to look like. The only app we know about so far is Mitomo, which we've talked about a bunch on this podcast. Yeah, but it's, it's not even a, game. It's a Yeah, it's a social well, app. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, again, we don't know anything about what Nintendo's doing, really. <laughs> Mysterious. Except that they want to keep us on the 3DS because it's doing super well. Uh, the League of Legends World Championships uh, back that were held in October in Berlin did really well. They released the viewership numbers, so they're uh, high. Um, they're high, they had a high of 14 million concurrent viewers. I'm not great with numbers. You guys know this. So during the final the final few matches between the um, South Korea Telecom and Ku Tigers, 14 million people were watching at once, and that was the highest viewership they had, which is up from 11 million last year, which is huge. That's a ridiculously big number. It is a yeah. huge number. I don't even... I, I tried to put it in context, and if you read my article on Remesh, you'll see that I made a, a, a big picture that just says 14 million on it, and then wow in Comic Sans, because <laughs> that's how... That's the only way I can visualize 14 million. 
And then overall, they had 334 million people watching throughout the tournament. And um, over the course of the finals, 36 million unique viewers watched the finals. So that's ridiculous. League of Legends is massive. I, I don't know viewership numbers, unfortunately, from uh, physical sports like football and stuff. But it seems to me like the only thing that would compete with this would be like the World Cup or um, – I don't know. Maybe the Olympics, but not even that really because people are so specific about sports that they're into. Soccer is the only sport I can think of that has such a a large – maybe cricket actually. It is certainly an international draw. What was that, Ingrid? What about like American football? I don't. I don't really know anything about it. So my my thing, my thinking on this is that um, League of Legends has a huge audience in like internationally. It's huge in Korea. It's huge in China. in Europe as well, I don't think American football is that popular outside of the U.S. I mean, the Super Bowl does get huge numbers, but I don't – probably let's, not. Let's look this up. <laughs> 334 million. We, we, we should will, look this I'm up. Looking we will up look right this now up. How many people watch this? Yeah. Look it up right now and we'll – while you're doing that, we'll move on to the emotional I have one thing oh, I yeah, want to say. I have a little axe to grind here. Oh, grind um, it. I'll be grinding that. Um, so – 334 million people watched League of Legends championships. Mm-hmm. But I talked to almost no one over 40 who knows what esports is. And I think people should get with it a little bit, for yeah. heaven's sake. That is a huge mm-hmm. thing in the world. And um, it's generational. A lot of older people don't even know it exists. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to them about it, they look like – you're, like, what are they you look, about? Yeah, they look at you like you come from a different planet. So, Well, like, we still think of esports as, like, well, in, in some circles, outside of gaming circles, as, like, land parties or maybe, like, a little tournament right. down at, I don't know, at the arcade or something. Right. But it is so, so much bigger than that. Yeah. I yeah. saw someone talking about. a phenomenon. About, yeah. Like, and, and following it, even as a, a news outlet, like, there's only, because it's literally changing every day, like, there are competitions and matches being held every day, like, as an outlet as small as we are, it's basically impossible to follow it in a really coherent way that would that would cover it adequately. And we, we try to cover, like, the, the tournaments and stuff like that as best we can. But to really be on that beat, like, you have to, you have to be following it every single day. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. You ready for some Super Bowl I'm statistics? I'm so ready. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the last Super Bowl in 2015 averaged 114.4 million viewers per minute. Wow. That is huge. And that was the biggest one per ever. Minute. I don't... Which means, like, on a minute-to-minute basis. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so their concurrence are higher than League of Legends World Championships then? Well, what were the World Championships again? It was 14 million concurrent was the highest, but uh, over, like, the whole course of the tournament, it was turned to 34 million. Right. We're not going to try to do math on this podcast. I don't know how to compare those since, like, the Super Bowl is just one. You sit down and you watch it, whereas the tournament went on for a longer period of time. It's kind of hard to compare. That's true. Yeah, but, interesting though. Yeah. yeah, someone should write an article about that. <laughs> <laughs> so the emotional game awards are happening in France next year. This is such a French thing to do. <laughs> I laughed yeah. a lot when I got this press release. I think it's a very good thing to do, but it is so deeply French. <laughs> and I wrote the article, and yeah. I have to say, I was laughing quite a bit too. It's it is very very French. <laughs> So explain the Emotional Game Awards. It's basically one guy in France who decided to give awards to Mm -hmm. um, games that 
cause you to feel strong emotions. Yes. And he listed those emotions like love and regret and I don't know. He Empathy, had a whole list compassion, of things. sadness. Yeah. This raises yeah. a lot of questions, I think, about like the nature of emotions that we feel well like can call of duty make you feel passion and yeah but obviously that's not the kind of game that he was probably thinking of for this award and like how do you distinguish yeah i have a lot of feelings about this actually having played the jack the ripper dlc for (laughs) syndicate last night i'm sure none of you saw that coming um and i was talking with my my roommate emmett about this and we had this he wrote this paper a few years ago about um, games for change versus AAA games, not like comparing them in terms of sales or whatever, but just like people who make games for change often are not game designers who are thinking about the mechanics necessarily. A lot of games for change are very simple and they and while they're like they deal with huge complex emotional subjects, they're not necessarily dealing with them on a really complex mechanical level where and then you have AAA games that maybe skirt around large emotional subjects, um, but they have really solid mechanics that I think can really inform your emotional reaction to a game. And this happened to me last night when I was playing Jack the Ripper. And uh, I will try not to spoil the plot of this DLC um, because it the whole thing is, is spoilers basically, but I don't think it's spoilers who you play as. There are sequences where you play as Jack the Ripper. Oh, no. And they actually did it really well, and it is horrible. It's, like, really viscerally horrible. Oh. As you're playing, like, the screen will glitch out, and there will be, like, scrawls of writing on it, and your controller will vibrate. And um, there's a new mechanic introduced called the Brutal Takedown, which you do by smashing the square button repeatedly on the PS4, um, whatever button for attacking it would be on the Xbox One. X. And <laughs> X, thank you. So Evie can do these attacks really quickly. Um, she's really efficient, really brutal, done, boom, and it's over. When you're playing as Jack the Ripper and you do these attacks, it goes on and on. And it is not fun. It is really, like, intense and it's really upsetting. And I love that because they they very, very intentionally, I feel, made it not enjoyable to be Jack the Ripper, which is really important to me because he's an awful serial killer misogynist and I don't want to, like, enjoy playing as him in the same way that I enjoy playing as Evie or Jacob. I don't think it should be fun. And they did such a good job just, like, driving home the fact that, you know, you do, at the end of the game, I didn't want to kill anyone <laughs> ever again. I was like, okay. I'm done with this. I can relax now. And they just did such a good job with that. And so, you you know, even though it's a AAA game that we might not necessarily um, associate with em- emotional gaming or strong emotional reaction or games for change, like it really did kind of bring out this emotional reaction to the things in me, to the things that I was asked to do in the game. Mm. So, what a, what a lovely reminder that the game world is not split into AAA games and definitely. complex games. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Like everything is a weird you can mishmash have both together. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think AAA games oftentimes have the big budgets to create the kind of movie experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they create emotion through kind of some of the storytelling yeah they you know that takes a lot of time and effort to create so it sort of makes sense that they would be able to create an emotional experience definitely that way although you don't need that big budget um you know gone yeah, home you, that kind of game yeah i think does it too yeah budget definitely helps i think more in terms of just like having the time to implement these things but then just like a really solid concept of 
how a player's interaction with something, how that physicality can evoke an emotional response in someone. And that was something I really appreciated. It's really exciting whenever you see somebody or a a studio that has lots of resources investing in something really great like that, like in creating what I consider to be an artistic experience when Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily need to do that in order to make money. Yeah, definitely. And as I was discussing with Emmett last night, sorry to drag this conversation out, but I think games are the only medium where you really are – compelled and perhaps forced in some cases to do things that you do not want to do. Um, like with a movie, if there was something I was uncomfortable with, I I can very – I can choose not to interact with it. I could fast forward. I could turn it off. But with a game, like to get to the next part, I needed to do things as Jack the Ripper that were actually impeding the things that I was about to do playing as Evie Fry. And like it was really – it put me in a an interesting – position, I feel, emotionally. Yeah, the, I'm very compromised right now. <laughs> the, the video game format definitely allows a lot of space for really cool artistic exploration. Yeah. And it's, like, my favorite re- thing about working in this industry. Definitely. That's why I'm here. <laughs> also, I like you guys. You're pretty cool. <laughs> I don't like you. Uh, ring my bell. <laughs> Is that, like, your safe word? It's <laughs> <laughs> my comfort bell. If I tease you too much, Courtney will ring the bell. <laughs> the ringing of the bell compels you. <laughs> Calms <laughs> you. Uh, so, yeah, um, the Emotional Game Awards happening next year. The judges include people from Ubisoft, people from Freema Games, which made Chariot, which is one of Nicole's favorite games. Rest in peace, Nicole. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Rockstar Games as well. So, Cool. On to Sony news. Uh, another interview with an exec, Michael Ephraim from Sony, gave this interview. Um, why didn't I write down where he gave the interview? Uh, talking about the lineup of exclusive games for the PS4 this year and how their he said that their first party games felt kind of disappointing to him, which I thought was interesting. Uh, it, it gave me, it made me think a lot of. Um, well, it was an interesting perspective, I think, because. Usually when we talk about exclusive games, it's with accompanied by, oh, God, why is that exclusive to this console? Unless it's exclusive to the PS4, in which case I'm like, heck yeah, I win again. <laughs> Suck it, everyone. Um, so it was interesting to hear from the, the executive you know, position where they, they really do actually want those exclusive games so they can sell consoles. Um, the Some of the exclusive, exclusives for the PS4 this year were Bloodborne, um, in the order 1886, which was kind of disappointing, and both those came out early in the year. Bloodborne was really not disappointing. Bloodborne was great, but um, they came out early in the year, and then they had until dawn, and um, that came out late this year. But in between, there weren't any really standout titles, except I will fight him because he didn't mention Tearaway Unfolded at all. Hmm. How offensive is that? Yeah, that, that hurts. I'm, I'm deeply wounded. I'm even more emotionally compromised by that than I was by the Jack the Ripper DLC for Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Wasn't um, there a little Big Planet game this year? That was last winter, oh, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's so hard to distinguish sometimes. I don't even know what year. I, I saw an article from January 2015, and I was like, but that's ne- that's next month. How could this be? <laughs> Who misdated this article? <laughs> Time goes by, Simone. So, so quickly, apparently. But yeah, and I mean, all those titles, I think, um, Until Dawn, The Order, and Bloodborne, those are pretty niche titles, I think. I mean, it's nothing on the level of Call of Duty, Destiny. Um, I haven't played Bloodborne, but it got a lot of love at the Game Awards this year. It totally got a lot of love, but I think it, it's a very, 
I hate this word, hardcore game. It is. Yeah. It does have blood right there in the name. Yeah. yeah. And blood. born, too. Yeah. With an E on the end, even. Have you played that one, Ingrid? I have, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Not all of it, but yeah, it is extremely challenging in my opinion. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely in that niche. Like, people who like Dark Souls, like Bloodborne, but... Yeah, yeah, it's not one that you'd be like, oh, this looks on the shelf. This looks fun. I'll take it home and play it. Yeah. Bloodborne. Uh, you have to be keyed into that community. <laughs> was Bloodborne the giant blood fountain that was at Pax? Yes. yes. Mm. <laughs> so that was a good fountain. There was a giant fountain of blood at Pax. <laughs> it was pretty plus, intense. <laughs> plus, it's just really hard to play, right? Yeah, no, yeah. it was very challenging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and they, next year uh, he's hoping that they'll do a little better. Um, he did mention that they had a lot of DLC exclusives this year for PS4, so they're working with third parties to basically have their own exclusives to draw people to the console rather than first-party games. But then next year they have Uncharted 4 coming out. Uh, they have The Last Guardian probably coming out. Someday. Yes. <laughs> and now, announced today, they have a partnership with Kojima Productions. Yay. Yeah, because Hideo Kojima finally, finally left Konami. That was such a long and drawn out breakup. <laughs> I felt like I was watching like a really personal thing in public, like watching a couple shout at each other in the Target, yeah. and you're just like, I don't want to look at this. <laughs> Except then you have to write articles about it. Yeah. It's the dark side of the Ugh. news media. Yeah. It was suffering. So, yeah. Bad feelings on both sides there. Apparently. And they, they've been in denial about it for, I swear, months and months. It's been like, oh, Kojima has left Konami. Let's write an article about it. Uh, everyone's denying that it's actually happening. He's okay. just on vacation. <laughs> he, the, there are pictures from his like comp- the party that they had when he left the company, but those aren't real. They're, that's a lie. Maybe he's just using the rest of his vacation time. <laughs> yes, just starting it out a new production company. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Did you want to say something, Linda? I just think there was probably a, a lot of legal maneuvering and probably some non-disclosure agreements and yeah. stuff that, you know, regular <laughs> people aren't supposed to know about. So then it just looks really weird when it plays out in public like that. That's but, so yeah. true because, like, clearly he – like, they took his company – or his uh, studio's logo off Metal Gear Solid Five, which is, like, his thing. Like, that's his series. He's worked on it for freaking ever. So, like, that's a sign. That's a red flag right there, guys. Like <laughs> – Obviously, you you're you're done with him. <laughs> Please let him go. Um, and they did let him go. So he's starting Kojima Productions. Uh, they're in an exclusive partnership with Sony to release games for the PS4. Best tweet I saw about it would it was that he should just make the Silent Hills game, but call it Spooky Town. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I hope they do. Maybe we'll... I, well, Guillermo del Toro see. said he was leaving games after it was canceled because he felt like he was jinxed, right? That was like his second yeah. or third canceled video game oh, project. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. He was like... Uh, shoot, I don't remember what other games he worked on, but it was really funny. He was like, I, I need to never be involved in games again because clearly I am like a plague on gaming, which... It's sad. I really wanted to see the Del Toro, Kojima, Silent Hills, but... I mean, never say never. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I guess they don't have the rights to Guillermo Del Toro. They can't keep him in prison. (laughs) And he did say that he wanted to work on that specific project, so maybe he would work with Kojima again. Hmm. But... um, That would be be cool. We can hope. I'm sure there's a whole lot of red tape all around. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, my mental health is probably all the better for this because I wouldn't have survived Silent Hills. Oh, yeah. I can't play those games. <laughs> did you Did you play PT? Ingrid? I did. I thought it was really good. Oh, my God. Did you actually beat it? Um... Yes, I think so. I played it with a friend because yeah. I couldn't do it by myself. But it's yeah. hard to tell, right? Yeah. It's so obscure. I mean, it's intentionally obscure, the, the puzzles in it. We had, for some reason, we decided to to stream the night that we played PT. I was supposed to do it during Extra Life last year, and our power went out. We had a 13-hour power outage that day. Possibly more than that. I don't remember. It was terrible. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not raising money for charity. Never mind. Um and then on the Tuesday of that week, I was like, hey, let's play PT. We never got around to that. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed a Wednesday, Linda, where I came in and was like dead inside. It was because I stayed up till three in the morning <laughs> streaming PT for a bunch of people on Twitch who were trying to help my incompetent soul. I get remember that, that game. Day. Yeah. I, were, I don't remember that day. <laughs> you were pretty unhappy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a very miserable 24 hours for me. But, yeah, it was an interesting game, and I would like to see more Sorry, of that. Sorry, what is PT? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. It's been a long time since you've played the uh, the the ignorant person card. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Nice. I get so much many, respect. Many for... people don't know what PT is. It's okay. Well, it's why don't you explain physical it? therapy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was just doing all my physical therapy at 3 in the morning like you do. Um, PT was a playable teaser for the new Silent Hill game, which was called Silent Hills, that Konami was uh, supposed to be publishing, um, made by Kojima, and in cooperation with Guillermo del Toro, the director of Pan's Labyrinth and Pacific Rim. He's a cool guy. He's got a big beard. Um, So they made this playable teaser. It was just called PT. It was released into the wild, and everyone was like, what is this? This is terrifying. And then if you did beat the game, which was a very difficult process involving, like, finding missing, like, pieces of a photograph, and one of the pieces was literally in the menu of the game, and you had to turn the brightness all the way up to be able to see it, and then you got it, and it was like, why? Why? Uh, But if you did all that and completed all the puzzles and everything, then um, you got a teaser for Silent Hills featuring Norman Reedus uh, from The Walking Dead. He plays Daryl. He was going to be the protagonist of the game, and it was just a really creepy, awesome experience. It's really... It's a wonderful contained example of how how horror can be really well done in games because it's got this – it's a very limited setting. It's just like one hallway. It loops around and around. You go through and through. Um, it has spectacular sound design and it doesn't even really rely on jump scares so much. Like there are definitely some in there but then the whole atmosphere of it is just very creepy and the little minute changes that happen on each passage through the hall just start like – grading at you and the clock is okay. always set at like 11.59. Well, yeah. Thank you for that explanation. You're welcome. <laughs> it, it, it is a little obscure, right? Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm definitely not obscure. the only you one. Are not, okay. You are not a loser. <laughs> I'm sorry if anyone implied that. <laughs> anyone. Uh, someone. Yeah, so there was a little bit of drama because uh, Konami took back PT, right? Yeah, right. they took it back. Uh, it is no longer downloadable. So if you have it, like me, you're never going to delete it from your console because otherwise you can never play it again. Not that I will, but it's a matter of pride. I have it and I'm keeping it. 
You can't take it. It's your badge of honor. Yes. Yeah, people were uh, selling their consoles that had the game on it for large sums of money. Oh, wow. Like after they took it down from the store and you couldn't download it anymore. That is amazing, mm. and I should try that. <laughs> Playable trailers are really cool. I like that idea a lot of, like, um, Mm -hmm. for a video game, instead of just watching a trailer, which are also cool, you get to interact with something. Like, Johnny LeClue had a really cute playable teaser that gave you a taste of what the gameplay in the game would be like and some of the art style and stuff. I still need to play that. I'm so excited about that game. You should do it. Johnny LeClue looks awesome. It's, um, it was, I think it was funded on Kickstarter, and it's, like, a murder mystery detective story, and you play a girl named Jenny, and... As she's investigating some stuff, <laughs> and it's cool. <laughs> some stuff. Are you avoiding yeah. spoilers? Um, we don't know too much about the plot. Uh, okay. I think in the in the playable teaser, you you explore like this mansion, and you click on books, and you have to solve a puzzle to find mm-hmm. like a secret basement room. That's which is awesome. pretty cool. Fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit Nancy Drewish. That's you're describing but, a perfect game. Yeah, it was slightly darker than Nancy Drew, I think. Well, then I haven't played any of the Nancy Drew actual games. I've yeah. just read the books, <laughs> which are not dark at all. Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I guess in terms of darkness, the I've played a couple of the Nancy Drew games, and the one the the first one I played, Thornton Manor, was really creepy. Like I, we all know, the best Nancy Drew books were the ones where she was investigating so-called hauntings. Um, this was totally in that vein. You were like in a creepy southern mansion on an island, and there were legitimate like ghost scares. I mean, obviously the ghost wasn't legitimate. Spoilers. Uh, the ghost is never real in Nancy Drew. It's um, like a Scooby-Doo situation, kind of. Yeah, totally. And there's there was always like, old men in Chester. <laughs> with a sheet and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, I'm, I'm excited for Jenny LeClue because of that. Because I love mysteries and I love lady detectives. Yeah, man. That's great. It's at. And it's a really nice little art style. I like it. Yeah. So, should we talk about our game of the year picks? We just talked about a lot of news and stuff, I feel yeah. like. So we are not going to have a podcast next week or the week after that, I believe, unfortunately. Daniel's just hearing this for the first time. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> um, yes, because of Christmas and all the things that are going on. However, we are having a Pixelkin Game of the Year thing. We are all picking one uh, for each console, basically. And we have many, many good videos about that going up on the website next week. <laughs> Looks at my watch anxiously uh, because I'm making all of them. So I think it'd be cool to go around and talk about what everyone's pick for Game of the Year is. And we can start with Linda. Okay. Well, my pick is Alpha Bear. Yay! And, um, no one saw that coming. No one saw that coming. <laughs> I play Alpha Bear every day. It's it sort of gets me awake in the morning. Uh-huh. Honestly, um, Alpha Bear is kind of a deceptively car- cartoonish looking mobile game, but it's it can be really difficult. And if you love words, and I'm a writer, we're all writers, and we enjoy words, um, it's a great word game. Yeah. And Have you played the versus mode at all? I, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, not very much. I, I thought about one. challenging you. But, <sighs> I saw one yeah. of Nicole's challenges on Twitter, I think, and I almost took her up on it, but I, I was probably doing something. Or maybe I was too scared. Actually, She'd probably say I, I was a coward. I did. I saw her challenge on Facebook, and I did it, and I beat her score. But then I didn't get any follow-up from that. So what? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not really sure what happened there. Yeah. Oh. I did beat you, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> now it is public record. By like 100 points. Oh. Just barely beat you. Good enough. Um, good enough. Good enough. <laughs> the pride. 
that's all that matters. Yeah. But um, I think Alpha Bear is interesting, too, for me because I feel like I have a good vocabulary and I know a lot of words, but I'm always discovering new words just out of desperation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> just spell something just to see if the game like, will take this it. This could be a word, maybe. <laughs> There's vowels in it. Oh, my gosh. That happens to me all the time. Do you follow through by, like, looking it up in the dictionary to um, see what it means? I'm going to start that, Simone, anytime. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it's a really fun game, and it's um, – Unlike a lot of mobile games, it doesn't feel so much like a waste of time because I do feel like I'm learning things when I play it and that Mm -hmm. it keeps me sharp. Cool. And it's so cute. It's so cute. It's very entertaining. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Courtney, what's your game of the year? So I kind of have two game of the years, but one of them was the same as our coworker Keezy, so I let her take it. Um, (laughs) And one of them is very me, which is... Majora's Mask for the Nintendo 3DS. You like a Zelda game? <laughs> what? No, no one, saw no one that ever coming. saw it coming. Technically, it's a re-release, but it's been long enough, and I think the remake is better enough, significantly better than the original. So, it, which was great. Which was great, but yeah. um, the original one had some clunky design. I think there were times when playing it was really uncomfortable um, because of the number of extra steps you'd have to do to things to like change your masks quickly. Not in a purposeful emotional way. Yes. Um, and they smoothed so so much of that over for the re-release. So, but nice. my reason, the reason that I love Majora's Mask is not because it's a Zelda game with great puzzles and fighting and stuff, which it does have that, uh, and that's something that I love from all Zelda mm-hmm. games. But Majora's Mask tells this incredibly intricate tapestry of emotional stories that all like, weave together and create this fantastic little microcosm universe of beautiful events that interact and talk with each other, and it's so cool. There's dozens and dozens of different stories and characters, and you choose which of them you interact with, and it's so cool, and I love it, and it's beautiful and emotional and really dark and sad and let's just grab this recording and use that for the video voiceover (laughs) i wrote a beautiful script (laughs) (laughs) improvise it Ah. yeah so basically uh the game is spent uh reliving the same three-day cycle over and over again it's kind of groundhog day ish you're in this um city called clock town in the land of termina and the moon is falling the moon has this big creepy face on it and at the end of the three days the moon collides with the earth and everybody dies and it, you can either wait and go through the whole three days and then wait for the world to end and then you'll be reset to the beginning. Or you can travel back in time whenever you want to the beginning of the three days. But you're reliving the same time period over and over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. And every time when you get back to the beginning, everyone has forgotten who you are. And if you helped them, they've gone right back to being in trouble again. So it's sort of like the words that I've used in my review. Or it's an exercise in futility. It feels it's, – so it's it's really heartbreaking in a way to – save someone, and then go right back to watching them being in trouble again. But it also creates this really beautiful kind of storytelling, and it shows you exactly how every action that you do changes the world around you. And you can watch and follow every person's different schedule and patterns as they go throughout their lives, and it's always exactly the same until you interact and it changes something. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's all these great motifs that go all the way through it, like – Grief is a really big theme. Um, reuniting ex- estranged family members is a really big mm. theme. And the whole time there's this giant moon in the sky that's getting closer and closer. That's like the world is about to end. Yeah. But you're still trying to help these people on this really individualized basis. So it's sort of like, is there a purpose? Is there a point in reuniting this 
you know, uh, engaged couple that's been separated if they're about to die. Mm. I mean, there's a very, very long side quest in which a couple that's engaged gets separated and you have to help them come back together. And then at the end, they're basically like, we're going to wait for the moon to fall, but we're doing it together. And oh, my God. So that's it's like, so... this is a kid's game, but you're <laughs> it's really intense and beautiful and bizarre. And there is no way that you could help everyone in one three-day cycle. You can't do all of it at once. So you have to choose sometimes. Wow. I mm. love this idea, like of telling such an intimate story in a fantasy setting mm-hmm. while the stakes are still so high because everyone's going to die. Right. That's that's a really wonderful way of setting things up, I yeah. think. Um, Majora's Mask, it doesn't really present the answers to you. You have to go and find them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very based on the idea that you will explore the world you're in and interact and talk with people and figure out what they want. Um, so sometimes if you've never played the game, it can be kind of hard to access. But this new version added a cool hint system, which I think helps a lot. And um, basically giving you that freedom to explore, I think, really adds something cool to this nonlinear storytelling. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Ingrid, what about your game of the year <laughs> that you um. had to choose <laughs> 10 minutes before coming on this podcast? I'm so prepared. Um my game of the year would probably be Ori and the Blind Forest. Um, I absolutely love that game. I really like uh, platformers, especially 2D platformers, um, and I like I really like a challenge, and this this provided that pretty well. Um, it's also really like I thought a touching story, which which is good too. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful scenery, amazing soundtrack, like. It was great. Um, and I don't always have a lot of time to play games, and this was not a super long game, which also made it uh, How long doable. did it take you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I'm going to say somewhere between, like, six and eight hours. Nice. But I'm not sure. And I like to, to do all the things, like collect everything and explore the whole area, so... Nice. That's really good. You have amazing gamer cred now because (laughs) Nicole was not able to finish Ori in the Blind Forest. Of course, I couldn't even begin to start to finish it. Um, The the platforming is really hard. Have you guys Mm -hmm. tried? I haven't because I don't have an Xbox. Yeah, me neither. Uh, (laughs) Platforming is is really difficult. I would love to try house and (laughs) steal your console, (laughs) which brings us back to the subject of console exclusives. But no, like. so Ori and the Blind Forest, we first saw the trailer for it, and we were, like, bawling in the yeah. office. <laughs> Is it sad all the way through? Um, I I cried, I'll be honest. Right. Um, but I wouldn't say it's sad all the way through. Cool. It, it is not just, like, a slow <laughs> slide into sadness. So there, there's hope. <laughs> That's good. I love that. I love beautiful, beautiful platformers with environmental themes and cute animals that aren't sad all the time. Hey. Yeah. That's good. This actually worked out really well because we have an Xbox One title, a 3DS title, a mobile title, and me, <laughs> whose game of the year is Assassin's Creed Syndicate. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I were kidding. Um, I've been talking about – I realized, like, I've been, like, full throttle on this game for probably two months. It came out in, at the end of October, I think it was. Uh, and I haven't shut my darn mouth about it for one single day since then. I have been playing it basically nonstop. Every weekend I'll come back to it and do more stuff. Um, and I love it. I love the characters. I love the fact that it tells such 
an optimistic story that's really, really rooted in this relationship between the two, the twin siblings, um, Evie and Jacob Fry. It just gives it so much heart. It makes it such. Um, it really it raises the stakes in certain ways because you, you care so much about each of the twins and their relationship. There is just so close, but at the same time, their personalities are so different and they they become estranged from each other. And I think for someone who is a, a sibling, um, it was really relatable. Like I, I saw both of their points of view and I understood like why they were fighting and but um, being able to go through that journey with them and laugh and murder people together was really fun. Uh, definitely my feel-good game of the year. Uh, hopefully I will eventually be released from its clutches and be able to enjoy anything else in my life again. So, yeah. yeah. So we will be putting up the game of the year post before the end of the year. Yes, before Christmas um, even. Before Christmas. I was told yesterday. <laughs> Nicole, Nicole told you that, right? Yes. Um, I was yeah. like, so this, these are going up between Christmas and New Year's, right? And she was like, no, these are going up on the 23rd or 24th. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I also want to mention, though, that um, – there's a lot of our favorite games in the holiday gift guide yes, as yeah. well. So there's a whole bunch more for different age groups mm-hmm. in that. You just go to the main page, the front page of Pixelkin, and click on the big big gift, gift box, <laughs> gift guide box. And yeah. you can see all of our favorite games this year. Yeah, we worked hard on that. Yeah. So we have a letter this week, uh, which is honestly just payback for Nicole because she loves getting letters. Uh, she loves reading them, and she's not here to enjoy this. So sorry, Nicole. Uh, never never leave us again. <laughs> <laughs> this is your Christmas present, by the way. Uh, hel- this is from Jonathan – or so- Johnson, sorry. Wow. Let me screw that up. Nice. This is from Johnson from Hong Kong. Uh, hello, Gaming with the Moms podcast. Been listening for a little over two months now and thoroughly enjoy the chatter as well as the insightful chatter focused on gaming and children, though I'm far from being a parent myself. Awesome. Thank you for enjoying the chatter. This whole episode is chatter, so I hope you like it. Um, Back to the letter. After listening to Greg Topo speak about educational games, it reminded me of the games that were used uh, from when I was in elementary school. And I would like to ask, did any of you yourselves have favorite educational games from when you were in school? Myself, I enjoyed Math Blasters, Zumbinis, and Typing of the Dead when I was a bit older. Looking forward to hear from you, Johnson from Hong Kong. Thank you so much for this letter. Zumbinis. <laughs> it's a great question, too. It is such a good question because the the 90s, I think, uh, from when we were in school, was such a – in the early 2000s, to be fair. I always think of myself as a 90s kid, but I was born in, literally in 1990, so I was unconscious for most of the 90s, really, because I don't consider people conscious until they're like 10. Um, <laughs> wow. Good, good anyway, work. it was a good time for educational games. Uh, we had – like Oregon Trail was played in schools. Uh, Mavis Beacon Typing was in schools. Zumbinis, definitely Zumbinis. a staple. So you want to talk about Zumbinis. I know I you do. Zumbinis. It that act- was almost your game of the it, year. It actually came close. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fight out. Um, Zumbinis was re-released this year. Originally it came out in the 90s, and it's this fantastic series of logic puzzles, and it's totally nonviolent and really cute and fantastic. Yeah, and really challenging in Yeah, uh, there's uh, four different difficulty levels, and they get hard. It's great. Really but, fast. <laughs> yeah. um, I also played a lot of Jumpstart 4th Grade. 
Jumpstart fourth grade, Jumpstart which we'll remember. Yes, yeah, Simone and I is my Jumpstart fourth grade friend because <laughs> you cannot find that game anywhere anymore. It's impossible. It's, it's gone. It's yeah. forever vanished. But it was so much fun, and you were like, you're you played this kid, and your all your classmates had been kidnapped by your substitute teacher, Miss Grunkle. I think that was her name. And you had to explore her garden to try to get to her mansion and rescue the kids. Yeah, and she was like a witch. She turned them all into monsters. Yeah, it's very Halloween-y. Yeah, and I think you were on an island. Maybe. I, I remember an island. But basically there were all these really cool little mini games. Like there was a dividing one that I could not do because I hadn't learned division yet. But you Is were in a maze with a vampire and, and there, you had to divide. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Numbers. And yeah. there was um, one with music where you played on a piano. And there was one with history where you were like uncovering a tomb. And there was a garden one. I love the the garden one. You were like watering plants yeah. and making them grow. I'm trying to pay attention. To it was really great. It yeah. was a fantastic, it was a fantastic educational fantastic. game. Yeah. We learned – Nothing from it. Can never play. But it we again. loved it. It's gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh gosh. So the one that I will always remember is Dinosaur Adventure 3D. I think I'm getting the title right. And this was a game where you were you were joining this T-Rex washes up on an island full of dinosaurs and he's terrorizing everyone because that's what T-Rexes do, obviously. Um, and you had to do all these different quests to find dinosaur eggs and then hatch them. And then at the end, when you had all the hatchlings, you would fight the T-Rex and defeat him and um, free the island from tyranny. And this united literally all of my loves uh, from a very young age. I played hatchery in real life because that is the person that I am. When I was in grade school, we all had pet imaginary dinosaurs. Mine was a parasaurolophus named Dixie. I believe I also had a Quetzalcoatlus, um, probably wow. named Quetzal, not creative at all, and 99 Velociraptors that I think may have done dance routines. Uh, so this game was clearly designed with me in mind. <laughs> uh, and there were all these great puzzles. Like there was one where you had to – it was almost like um, Pipe Dream but in a cave system oh, and you are trying I to like – I remember Pipe Dream. I know, right? Flashback. Ugh. That game was a nightmare. Yeah, it was awful. Uh, <laughs> so that it was where you're divine, designing caves to rescue a dinosaur that was trapped in the caves. And there were a lot of – there was one where you were running from Gallimimuses. That was basically like an endless runner. Um, and you had to jump over obstacles, and it was just a lot of fun. And then it also included the requisite dinosaur trivia, which is very important. And I remember the graphics being incredibly beautiful for the time, which was, <laughs> again, like pre-2000. Did any of you guys ever play The Incredible Machine? No. That's mm-hmm. another one that was re-released, so you can play it available now, but I think it might have a new name. But um, it's basically the same game, but with a new name. Oh, gosh, I, I'm so bummed. I can't remember what it's called now. But The Incredible Machine in the 90s um, was basically all about building Rube Goldberg machines. Mm. And so you'd have all these really random pieces like uh, a hamster cage and rubber bands and a hair dryer and a candle. And you needed to fulfill some objective, like drop the bowling ball in the basket and build these crazy machines to do it. That is so cool. Yeah, mm. it was really fun. Yeah. Do you have any favorite educational games, Ingrid? Um, I was all about that Math Blaster. I played so many Math <laughs> Blaster games. Um, I also actually, uh, when I was a small, small person, uh, I dressed up as GC, a Galactic Commander for Halloween. That's oh how much I loved Math gosh. Blaster. So nice. That is <laughs> obscure, and you have my respect. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I have uh, something to say about this, even though since I'm a little older, there were no computers when I was a kid, basically, that fit in a house. So, (laughs) um, but when my kids were little, 
we had, you know, some of the first, actually, first home computers because my ex-husband was a entrepreneur in the software industry. So um, we had probably w- one of the first educational games that came out, which was P- Pajama Sat Sam. <gasps> I love Pajama Sam. And Putt Putt Goes to the Zoo, those games, which were great educational games for very little kids. And I just remember sitting in front of the computer with my son Chris on my lap. He's probably two, so he couldn't read, of course. <laughs> and you have to be able to at least read a little bit to play these games. So, mm-hmm. But he could play the games I would just have to tell him what everything said, you know. That's so, so cool. Yeah, it was fun. And I think that, um, yeah, I think kids, it's great when they can have that much fun and learn so much yeah, at the same time. Definitely. Those yeah. putt-putt games, or the Pajama Sam and Freddy Fish were both made by the same company. Oh, I remember Freddy yeah. Fish, too. He had and the those. missing kill yeah. seeds. You can so actually good. still buy those games on Steam. They're yeah, available. really? And yeah. Putt-Putt oh, is fun. on Steam, too. I was finally able to buy Putt-Putt after 20 years of anger that I couldn't have it because I grew up on Mac computers. <gasps> I've only ever had Apple's computers. And so that excluded me from a lot of popular games. Like, never play <laughs> Roller Coaster Tycoon. And I desperately wanted to. <laughs> so. I got really weird off-brand games instead. <laughs> Crystal's Pony Adventures. Uh, Crystal's Pony Tale was for Sorry. Sega Genesis. Excuse wow, my you. bad. Let's forget about that <laughs> conversation. Crystal Crazy, forever. though, was the ga- a game where you played a six-legged cow in space collecting crystals. And that was from my Mac. Nobody wants to know about that. It was fantastic. <laughs> I would pay a lot of money to play that again, but it's another one of those that's just gone to history. It's so upsetting, isn't yeah. it? Yes. How many games are lost forever? Disappoint. I'm so glad that Zumbi like is back. Yeah, I'm glad that Johnson asked that question, and yeah. I think we could almost do a whole episode about. Me totally could. Nostalgia. Nostalgia games. Yeah. yeah. I'll write that down. All right. So I think we're down to what we're playing. Uh, we'll start with you, Ingrid. What are you playing this week? The well, look of terror. <laughs> um, since I just finished up finals, I've really only been playing Plants vs. Zombies 2 Heck yeah. on my phone. So That's yeah. good. That's a good one. You'll yeah. have to talk to Nicole about that because I think that's the one that she doesn't like because of, oh, of the microtransactions. But uh, they did update it, right? Like, um, I don't remember. They may have. I mean, you can purchase things. I have not spent mm-hmm. a single cent on it and have still had an amazing time playing all the levels. Great. So Nice. Yeah, I love nice. it. <laughs> Courtney? Uh, I got sucked back into Fallout Shelter. Rip. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the end for me. Uh, when I first got obsessed with Fallout Shelter, there were just dark spots in my memory where the like, black holes, I can't remember. I was so into this game. And then I was checking it out for the Christmas update to write a story about how it has you know, pets now. Um, and <laughs> I That was your first mistake. And I checked in on, I have two vaults, and one of them was gigantic and beautiful, and I was like, this is, like, too big to handle. So I looked at my other old vault, and everyone was dead or dying and super unhappy and miserable, so I nuked it and started over. <laughs> and I managed to achieve 100% perfect happiness with, like, 30 dwellers. Oh, Every man. single person was 100% happy, and I feel like I deserve some kind of certificate. I don't know. It was a big deal. <laughs> That you so didn't even weird. tell me. Like, I know. I would have thrown you a party. It's shame. I feel shame for going back to Fallout Shelter. It's okay. Made it has me you. now. Yeah. I'm in its claws. <laughs> Linda, what about you? Well, I finished the story part of Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Yeah! By, you know, bullying, bullying my way through it as I was completely overpowered for all the story missions. But... That, <laughs> That's the way you, you want to be. I almost got stopped. I told you because of that 
you know, the hijack the carriage mission where you're protecting Disraeli, mm -hmm. the prime minister. And um, But I did manage to do that with some help from my nice husband, Eric. <laughs> he was just kind of coaching me saying, you can do it, you can do it. Aww. You so, didn't have to call your son to come no, help? No, I did so good. Yeah, he, he was off the hook for that. So I, I got through that. And then um, I'm just going to say one little spoiler. Do it. I was very thrilled to meet Queen Victoria. Yes. Even though I should have known she would be there because yes, there's yes, always yes. some personage that just thrills me, like Leonardo da Vinci in, oh, the, in I loved him. the last game. So, yeah, it was fun. I, I love the story. I love getting through this story part. Yeah. yeah. The the story in Syndicate is, was so satisfying for me. My, I have a story about Leonardo da Vinci. There is a moment in Assassin's Creed 2 where you can press a button to hug him or return a hug from him. And I missed it. <gasps> and he didn't hug me. And I like I had this moment of panic and I tried to go back. But there's no like previous save to return to. It's just like that's it. That's over. That's, you he, missed your chance to hug wow. Leonardo da Vinci, your friend who wow. loves you. Goodbye. I, I was mm. so... So upset. I'm still so upset to this I'm day. Sorry. So yeah, that's that's he fine. was great. I also okay. enjoyed meeting Charles Dickens in Oh my gosh. Assassin's Creed the Syndicate. Dickens missions are so good. Yeah, they're fun because they're all about haunted houses and yeah, yeah. they're really great. You get kind of get the atmosphere that you get from a Dickens novel, I think. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Yeah. It's great. And they use the the murder mystery mechanics really well. Uh, I also have <laughs> been playing Syndicate, um, unfortunately. Like I said, I played Jack the Ripper. So I, I could talk a little more about that because that's the thing that I was doing for hours last night. Um, I had a lot of concerns going into the Ripper DLC, as anyone who knows me can attest to. Um, there was a horrible, horrible fan theory going around that Jacob was Jack the Ripper which is stupid, and I want to but personally, like, Courtney, leave this room. <laughs> I want to, like, send a, let a stern letter to everyone who said that and be like, I want you to repent for what you, you – the paranoia that you made me feel personally for, like, a month. It was so much fun. Yeah. To just torment you with, like, in the middle of I working and doing something sensitive. else. Hey, Simone. You know what would be kind of cool is, like, what if Jacob was Jack the Ripper? <laughs> and then I would launch myself across the room screaming and, like, it's throw true. myself against the walls. Just start rolling it's, around on the floor. It's very exorcist. Crying. Very horror movie. I did it many times a day. Yes. You, you got <laughs> much joy out of that. Because um, <laughs> I think one of the things that kind of – that made me so concerned about it was that there is this mythos built up around Jack the Ripper that, like, people – have this armchair detective attitude towards him that's almost reverent and it really bothers me because he was a horrible murderer who stabbed you know sex workers and was never caught and because of that I think there there's this almost glorification of what he did and he has a really catchy name so like sure understandable and because his crimes happened they were sensationalized in the media at the time and it was a time when um, for forensics I almost said fortification um and fornication at the same time. <laughs> Forensics were starting to um, be used by the police force. Um, so we have a lot of records of the investigation, but again, he was never caught. So there's this kind of weird cult of personality built up around him that is just like, ah, must we celebrate this guy? Um, and so one of the things that pleased me so much about the DLC was that it doesn't really, it didn't feel like it bought into that at all. Uh, like I said earlier, it made it very uncomfortable to play as him. 
Uh, and he was very much, you know, called out by the narrative for the horrible, horrible things he did. So I really – I felt more satisfied playing that than I thought I would. And there is this really wonderful side uh, side mission um, similar to Syndicate where you have side missions throughout the city that you can do as conquest activities. There are conquest activities in the River DLC that are different. And one of them is called Walk of Shame. And – it involves finding men who are abusing sex workers and basically arresting them and parading them through the streets so that they can be publicly shamed before taking them to the police. And you have like a shame meter and everything. And it's like that is so, so cool that you that it's, you know, in a game about a serial killer who murdered sex workers, you are not only stopping him, but you are also stopping all these, you know, quote-unquote regular people who are abusing these women as well. And I thought that that was really a, a good, powerful choice for a game like that. So, yay! yeah, anyway, I'll shut up now. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Gaming with the Moms. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Gaming with Moms and also at Pixelkin underscore org. You can find us on Facebook as Pixelkin. You can find us on YouTube also as Pixelkin org. And uh, then read all of our articles on pixelkin.org. If you are listening to this episode on Overcast and you liked it, please recommend it. And if you are listening through uh, the podcast app, iTunes, whatever, do leave us a review and, you know, drop some stars in our star rating section. We really appreciate it. It helps uh, more people find us. It helps us sleep better at night. It makes us happy. Uh, and that's pretty much it. See you next, not next week. <laughs> See you in two weeks. Happy holidays. Yay. Bye. Bye. This podcast was recorded in the studios of the Jack Straw Cultural Center in Seattle, Washington.